Tonight, if you have your Bibles open, I want to ask you to turn them to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. I want to talk to you tonight about optimizing your optimism. I recently read the story about a farmer who was a perpetual optimist. He seemed to see the sunny side of everything. Almost never gets discouraged, almost never gets blue. The odd thing is he lives next door to a continual pessimist, just the opposite. He's glum, he's gloomy, faces each morning with a heavy sigh. The optimistic farmer sees the sun coming up and he shouts, look at the beautiful sun and the clear sky. And with a frown, his negative neighbor replies, yeah, probably scorched the crops. When clouds gather and the rains begin to fall, our positive friend smiles. He says, ain't this great? God is giving our corn a drink today. And again, he gets the negative response. If it doesn't stop for long, it'll flood and wash everything away. One day, the optimist decides to put his pessimist friend to the test. He buys the smartest, most expensive bird dog he can find. He trains him to do things that no other bird dog on earth can do. He invites the pessimist to go duck hunting with him. And when the ducks fly by, both men fire, and the optimist's duck falls into the pond. He immediately orders his dog, says, go get him. The dog leaps out of the boat, walks on the water, picks up the bird and brings him back to the boat. He turns to his pessimistic friend. He says, now, what do you think of that? And the pessimist answers with a frown, your dog can't swim, can he? Days like these challenge our optimism. Every day is another story about people being infected, people dying. No vaccine seems to be in sight. Thousands of people laid off, they have no idea when they're going to go back to work. Government officials are calling up the National Guard. It seems that fear is spreading as fast or faster than the virus. Nobody knows how long this is going to go on. And you may think there's plenty of reasons to be gloomy. And yet the scriptures teach us that as far as God is concerned, we always have reasons to be optimistic. No matter how dark the times, the Bible tells us that he's in control. And tonight I am praying that he will lift your spirits by one of the most familiar, one of the most precious promises in all of scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. Follow along with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Lord, your promises are so precious. We thank you that we can depend on them to always be true. Lord, whether we feel them or not, whether we see them or not, we can depend on the fact that you will keep your word. And so tonight, Lord, this scripture can give us strength. This scripture can give us hope. This scripture can give us grace. And I pray that it will. 
as I preach and your spirit speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. The man who pins these words has a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. He's writing them from a prison cell. He's being persecuted for preaching the gospel. He's separated from all his family and his friends, and yet he's still optimistic. He believes in a promise, and that promise is a promise you and I can believe in. How does this promise optimize your optimism? Well, first of all, by believing God works all things together for good. And we know all things work together for good. What Paul says is we know all. We know all things work together for good. A lot of folks speak as experts about things that they don't know what they're talking about. They tell you more than they actually know. One of the most amusing for me is when somebody says, Preacher, the Bible says, and they go on to quote something that Grandpa said or something that they heard a preacher say. But it's not something the Bible says. Today we have online experts who confidently sharing all the details that they know about the virus, how it's spread, how it works, how to treat it. Now, a lot of those folks who claim to know more than they actually know. Is that what's going on here? Paul says we know. We know that all things work together for good. How do you know that? How does he know that? Well, he knows that because he's traced the story of God through the scriptures. For example, you can look at the story of Joseph, who was young man sold into slavery, falsely accused, left to rot in prison. But God works through all of his circumstances. And when his brothers come to him begging for mercy, listen to what Joseph says in Genesis 50 and verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Same God who works in Joseph's life for good works in your life for good. God works through the worst crime in history, the crucifixion of his sinless son. And it is through that terrible experience that he gives us the best blessing that we can ever have, the salvation of your soul. You can trace God's goodness in your own life. You could probably testify tonight of how there were times where you were sure you were going to do without. And then somehow God comes through and provides. There are days when you felt low and beaten down and you were sure that you'd never see the sunshine again. But Jesus lifts you up, puts you back on your feet, a smile on your face. Now, that doesn't mean everything's been cake and ice cream. And not everything that happens is God's fault. But what Paul says is we can know that God can take your missteps, God can take your mistakes, God can even take your sin and bring good out of it. He's done it before and he'll do it again. We know that by faith. 
Faith is not believing without evidence. It is trusting the God who has already proven his goodness. Proven that he can take the worst that happens and bring good out of it. Perhaps you remember the story about the little boy who's having a really tough time. And he complains to his grandma about how everything is going wrong. School problems, family problems, girl problems. And while he's talking to his grandmother, she's putting together a cake. She's mixing everything together, getting ready to bake a cake. And she interrupts him and says, oh, would you like a snack? He says, yes, Grandma, I'd love to have some. And she says, here, have some cooking oil. He says, Grandma, yuck, I don't, I don't want to eat that. Well, how about a couple of raw eggs? Gross, Grandma. Would you like some flour then or maybe baking soda? Grandma, all of those are yucky. Grandma smiles and says, all those things seem bad by themselves. But when they're mixed together in just the right way, they make a wonderfully delicious cake. God works the same way. Many times we wonder why he allows us to go through such bad and difficult times. But God knows how to mix everything just right. We have to trust that he will bring something wonderful out of it. God can take anything, even these days of sickness and sadness, and bring good out of them. But if you're going to experience that goodness, there is a condition. You optimize your optimism by loving your Lord. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. That's a promise specifically to a group of people. Well, preacher, who doesn't love the Lord? Oh, maybe a stray atheist here and there. Ask a dozen people at random, do you love the Lord? Well, sure. Sure, I love the Lord. But is that really true? And if it's true, how do you know? The Bible gives us a very simple test. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, our love for God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When you love Jesus, nothing he asks of you is too much. And you don't obey him because you're afraid of him. You obey him because you love him. Truth is, anyone can say they love Jesus. They can slap a bumper sticker on their car. They can sing the songs. They can talk the talk. The truest measure of your love for God is in your obedience. Lee Strobel writes, if two angels in heaven are given assignments by God at the same time, one of them to go and rule over the greatest nation of the, on earth, the other to go sweep the streets of the dirtiest village, each angel wouldn't care which one got which assignment. Simply wouldn't matter to them. Why? Because the real joy lies in being obedient to God. The most important thing isn't what God has called you to do. Or the most important thing isn't what God has you doing. The most important thing is that you're doing it. You're doing what God wants you to do. You optimize your optimism by lovingly obeying the Lord. Well, one last way to optimize your optimism is by embracing his call. 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Someone says the two greatest days of your life are first, the day you're born, and second, the day you figure out why. God has a purpose for every person on this planet, including you, especially you. We share some of those purposes. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is his purpose for every person on this planet. He longs for that to happen, to save us by faith in his Son. And you will never, ever discover your true purpose in life until you take that step. His purpose is also to make you holy. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification. His purpose is to make you like Jesus. Everything that happens to you, everything that happens to you, that comes through his hand, is ultimately about making you like Jesus. Now, everybody wants to get saved and everybody wants to go to heaven. We want all things to work together for good. But you can't leave out embracing God's purpose for your life. Embracing your calling according to his purpose includes serving him. God formed you with certain talents and abilities and gifts. And his purpose is for you to discover them and develop them and use them for him. You may have a natural aptitude for handling money. You may be a good teacher or preacher. You may sing beautifully. You may have a heart for missions or a heart for the poor. The calling of God's purpose is for you to use what he's given you for his glory and for the good of others. Here's something I want you to get hold of. You will never be happy until you discover, develop, and use what God has given you. You may get a good job. You may good, make good money. You may get a good education. You may have a large family. But if you miss the calling of God's purpose, you miss the very reason that you were born. You are here for a reason. You're part of an intricate plan. Your precious and perfect, unique design called God's special woman or man. You look like you look for a reason. Our God made no mistake. He knit you together within the womb. You're just what he wanted to make. No, that trauma you faced was not easy, and God wept when it hurt you so. But it was allowed to shape your heart so that in his likeness you'd grow. You are who you are for a reason. You've been formed by the master's rod. You are who you are, beloved, because there is a God. Optimizing your optimism means answering your call according to his purpose. Let me end with the story of Sam and Jed. Sam and Jed are looking for a way to get rich. And so they decide, uh, they see a poster about um, a certain county has a bounty of $5,000. $5,000 for each wolf that's captured alive. $5,000 for each wolf. And so they set out one night to make their fortune. They hike many miles out into the forest, finally make camp. And around midnight, Sam wakes up and he looks around and he sees a hundred growling wolves with flaming eyes and bared fangs. 
And he nudges Jed excitedly and he says, Jed, wake up. We are going to be filthy rich. That's optimism. This virus may be discouraging you. You may think everything's falling apart. You may think that you may lose everything that you have, all that you know. But God is still on his throne. And you can know he is working all things together for good. He's proven that in his word and in your life. You can know he's working all things together for good to you who love him. So there's no time to let your heart grow cold. It is a, a time to grow in your love, to love the Lord with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. It's a time to demonstrate that love by obeying him. It's a perfect time to think about his calling on your life. His calling according to his purpose. If you don't know Jesus, then his purpose is for you to be saved, for to give him your life. His purpose is to embrace his sanctification, to embrace his desire to make you like Jesus, to find the joy you've been missing by using what he's given you the talents, the gifts, the abilities, using them all for his glory and for the good of others. This is no time to become a pessimist. Our God gives us too many reasons to be a sanctified optimist. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, it's not always easy to see the sun through the clouds. It's not always easy to hold on to our hope, especially in dangerous times like these. The devil would want us to doubt. Our circumstances could lead us to wonder. But Lord, your promises are sure. They are surer than the sunrise. They are more certain than the circumstances we find ourselves in. And I pray, my Lord, that you please help us. Help us, Lord, to optimize our optimism by believing your promise, living your promise, trusting your promise, no matter what happens. Lord, I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. We will again uh, do a live stream of our service Wednesday night at 630. Hope you'll come and join us for that. God bless.